All right, we're recording. Oh, it's it's telling me I have to continue. No, oh, you have to you have to give the okay on that. Uh, yeah, it's consensual, a consensual recording. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So I guess this is like a right to know state or something. Uh, who knows? This is inter this is interstate, frankly. Right, and I, I just signed some HIPAA paperwork just to make sure that it's uh, official. Mm, good. So I see you've got uh, Mr. Bull there with you. Yeah, so I'm Justin, and with me as always is Byron, party on Byron. Oh, party on Justin. And with me also is this original portrait of R.H. Bull over here where Byron should be. And if you're only hey. listening to the audio version of this, I apologize, but imagine, well, imagine R.H. Bull just maybe 18 to 24 inches to my right, your left. And if you don't know what Robert Bull looks like, R.H. Bull, Google him. There are pictures out there. Oh, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, there he's, are. Google, he's Googleable? Yes, he is able to be Googled. Hmm. So, I don't know how significant that is really at this point, right? Well, Abilene Christian University has a, a pretty extensive collection of restoration movement materials of, of various sorts, including some of the, the writings and other things related to RH Bull. I think they have some pictures too as a part of their archive. Well, I just meant more like if you ever Googled yourself, like there's probably something there. <clears throat> yeah, there's a blues guitarist in the United Kingdom named Justin Adams. Oh, so there's nothing about you per se. Googleable. I mean, you got to get way down there. Wow. Turns out that there are people with my name who are way more important than I am. Mm. And I'm okay with that. All right. Well, shall we get started? <clears throat> yeah, we shall. I, I was really interested in the, the topic that you sent, which is typical. Yeah. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, I <laughs> You know, I know you, you talked at one point in a sermon about peace and how um, I guess there are those that would kind of sacrifice all for the sake of peace. And that's how that's um, like that is not a, a correct view, let's say. And so uh, this passage came up. So, you know, I'm, I'm for those of you at home who if you can't tell, I'm in a hotel because I'm out of town right now. Uh, I'm in North Carolina and. Uh, I visited a congregation here, and the message Sunday came from First Thessalonians, and he was actually in uh, chapter three, I believe. Uh, but for some reason, I paged over to five, and I saw uh, this thing here. And, and so, First Thessalonians five is where we'll be tonight. First Thessalonians five. We're gonna read one through eleven. Um, in fact, let's do that before I get too 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 far into it. Give you a chance to get over there if you're not there already. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and read. Let's see here. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 
Uh, and so again, if you can't tell maybe from my earlier comments, this idea in chapter or verse three of while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This idea of peace and safety kind of struck with stuck with me. And so I, you know, I'd mentioned before you, you have preached before on peace and the idea of people sacrificing all for the sake of peace. And so again, I, I was patient through this uh, during this, the message Sunday, and that really caught my eye. Uh, and, and so I don't recall if this was the passage you used, but where you talked about peace, I would kind of like to talk about safety in the same regard. So first question, I'm going to ask you and give you a chance to think, and I'll kind of give you my answer while whilst you're thinking. Okay, sure. Okay, so what are some ways you have seen like a productive emphasis on safety, let's say, in your job? I'll give you okay, an example. A, a, a productive emphasis on safety in my job. Okay. Yeah. Or, or like in general. Okay. Sure. I'll go first. Right. Um, and so the army is a very safety conscious organization, uh, at times to a fault, but I'm not going to talk about that yet. I'll talk about the, the, uh, again, productive use of safety. So I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, you see these movies where guys place short charges on doors and blow the doors off and go in and, and, you know, clear houses and stuff. And so I've done some mm -hmm. of that training. And so one of the things that we do when we construct those charges is we calculate what's called the minimum safe distance, right? And the reason you're doing that is because you want to know, uh, you're, you're calculating how close you can get to that charge um, while, uh, uh, how close you can get to that charge as it's being detonated. Um, because the closer you are to the charge, the closer you are to the what we, we call the breach, the close the faster you can get in that building. And so we're finding we're trying to figure out what's the closest we can get while remaining safe, right? Not mm -hmm. remaining safe from the overpressure of that blast and potentially any shrapnel it might create. I'll give you another example. Um, you know, we <laughs> I assume I assume most little boys probably see uh, soldiers, you know, shoot rockets and think that's pretty cool. I'll tell you, it's cool the first time. <laughs> and then once you do it, you're like, okay, that's kind of miserable. <laughs> and so uh, uh, we have several rockets in our arsenal. I'll talk about one specifically. It's called the AT4, so it's an anti-tank munition. And uh, there are several safety things to consider when firing the AT4. Uh, one of the things that we say when we fire the AT4 is we always check behind us for what's called our backblast, and we call backblast area clear because this thing shoots a flame out of it at a 45-degree angle, about 70 yards to the rear, right? So that's one safety. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 70 yards. Mm -hmm. The flame yeah. is 70, like as in 210 feet. Correct. As in the average, like a common distance from home plate to the fence in the yeah. little league world series right it's very important so in in the firing procedures to at4 you check your back blast two times at least before firing you also can't shoot more than three at4s from a standing position in a given day in a training setting because of the overpressure suffered from firing the at4 so i would say that is a practical use of safety in my job right your turn All right. So teaching. One of the things that I was telling my kids about today, uh, just because of some things that came up in conversation, is that our school staff has been through active shooter training. Mm -hmm. This was, I guess, maybe three, three years ago during yeah. the summer. And it was one of those things that, that really unnerved all of us. But Ultimately, I was glad that I went through it because it confirmed some things that I had already worked out in my, my own mind mm -hmm. that I would try to do if I were placed in that situation, mm -hmm. God forbid. Yeah. For example, uh, if, if I hear gunfire often some, for example, we have a two-story school, I'm in the first floor. If I hear gunfire and I can tell that it's not uh, like right, right there, or, or even if it is, like I can get all the kids out the window. Mm -hmm. 
the, the windows are, are big enough, we can evacuate the building very quickly and easily and, you know, run to a, a nearby. Oh, we're, we're having some sound issues. Um, All right, let's see how that goes. So the active shooter training, back to that. Uh, the, the other thing was that I had reckoned that since they already told us to keep all of our doors sh shut and closed at all times when we have students, that if we go on lockdown and I just, like I get the light turned off and we we make it look like nobody's in there we're not we're not a soft target because uh somebody with a gun in the school would have to unload a lot of rounds and spend a lot of time shooting through a door you know a, a heavy solid core door that's that's locked from the inside so it's incredibly unlikely that my school would ever face an active shooter situation but i'm glad that we've had some level of training on it yeah. and i've heard blanks going off the school building and i've had to react to it e yeah. even though it's just sort of a, a drill type situation yeah i mean I'll tell so you, that, it, that's sort of a worst case scenario type of deal sorry yeah i, I was just yeah, saying somebody ahead. who does stuff like that all the time it, it <clears throat> It's one of those things where you can sit through a PowerPoint presentation and you think, yeah, okay, that's easy enough, but it's it's worth going through a, a rehearsal of some type because you're you're just going to discover things you wouldn't if you didn't do it otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then next question. And uh, well, I'm sorry, were you done with that? Yeah, I think I want to give a, a more common thing thing that we we deal with on a more, more or less everyday basis we don't want students or we we don't permit students to text anybody while they're at school not even their parents all communication is supposed to go through the office and while because they always have their phones with them and they're allowed to have them out at particular times during the day most notably lunch that rule gets broken a lot and it's something that we have to remind students of quite a bit but that does seem like a, a very common sense rule that is is has been made because of student safety. Mm -hmm. We don't want somebody showing up to the school and and the the office staff, the administrators have no idea that there is some sort of issue with a student, whether it's sickness or or anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, for the safety of the student, the administration needs to be in the loop on yeah. anything going on with students. So yeah, that's a, a more everyday right. thing. So, so I guess my next question, which you might guess is, now I wanna talk about unproductive uses of safety. And uh, I might be able to give you a couple, but again, like I said, the army is a very safety conscious. Yeah, because I'm, I might have to plead. Sorry, go ahead. I might have to plead the fifth. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you don't see any unproductive uses of safety? Oh, no, I, that's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, let's hear yours first. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I have a couple that come to mind. Um, okay, so in the Army, there's kind of a, uh, an ongoing joke about um, PT belts. And so if you've <laughs> ever seen soldiers, they're, soldiers walking around in physical fitness uniform, they'll often have a reflective belt on. <clears throat> and... Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's meme worthy at this point. Like there are memes about it because, you know, people think there's some sort of safety force field that is around you when you have your PT belt on. And so <clears throat> it's funny because you can think, you can imagine how things might've escalated, but even in a deployed setting. So here's the thing, you go to these camps and, and we set up these bases in the middle of nowhere and, and they're not lighted. There's no street lights. And so soldiers are walking around along the road at night. It makes sense for them to wearing for them to wear a reflective belt, right? <clears throat> the problem is that it's like so many things where we do start doing something and we don't know why we're doing it and we're enforcing a rule because that's the rule. And so I've been places 
overseas where uh, I'm riding like a motorcycle or a side-by-side or something like that in broad daylight. And I've been stopped by the MPs because I didn't have a PT belt on <laughs> in broad daylight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There are senior enlisted. I mean, everybody's got a story where they're being pulled aside during PT uh, or, or doing PT on their own in the middle of the day by some sergeant major because they're running across posts without a PT belt on in the middle of the day in civilian clothes. Like, it's just it's just ridiculous. I don't I don't know why it's a thing. Um, so that's kind of a more commonplace one. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a good training one, but that. So one, another one I can think of is when I was a drill sergeant, you know, a lot of people know about what they call the shark attack. And so that's when the soldiers first get there and you're yelling and screaming at them, trying to get them to hurry up and doing what we call the bag drag. And so, uh, <laughs> but it's actually usually pretty orchestrated. You know, you generally have the, the soldiers will form up in a certain area and you'll do a certain amount of, I want your bag, this bag like this and this bag like this, and you seated like this. And you give them a time standard and they don't do it. And then you, you know, you make them do push-ups and stuff. And so <clears throat> all that to say is we, we were briefing that one time before we, we did our pickup. And so, you know, I, I was leading it and it was one of these things where it's like, okay, so we're going to bring them off the buses here. They're going to swarm up here. We'll go conduct bag drills for this, this amount of minutes. And we're going to start calling, calling off names and moving them up into the company area uh, to get them into platoons. And it's like, I want a drill sergeant posted up here, here, and here to help guide them into the company area. And when I call their name, they'll double time up into the company area, this, that, and the other. And so we give our whole briefing, and afterwards, our command, our battalion sergeant major is sitting there. And he's like, uh, excuse me, drill sergeant Travis. Now, when the soldiers are moving from here to here, how, how are they doing that? And I'm like, they're running, sergeant major. And he's like, like, so they're running with all of their baggage. I'm like, Roger, Sergeant Major. He's like, okay, uh, I don't want them to do that. I would prefer that they walked because I don't want the soldiers falling down and uh, scuffing up their hands or something like that. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it would just get so frustrating because there was this guy like, been through basic training. Uh, yeah, probably like in the 60s or 70s, like when it was really hard, you know, Uh and wow. so, but it's just, it's just this thing where that's, that's like a small snapshot into where uh, it's like you get this segment of the leadership population who doesn't want soldiers to ever feel discomfort or pain or sadness or stress, you know? Um, and it even gets to the point sometimes where there's so much emphasis on safety. Like I've, I've been quoted as saying, it's almost like they don't want us to train because it's just safety this and safety that. And well, we can't do that. Somebody might get hurt. Um, so there's, there's that we, what do you have on your side? Yeah. Like maybe you could get the enemy to use rubber bullets. Right. Or maybe right. you could get the enemy to just use like airsoft rifles <clears throat> or paintball or I don't know, spit wads. Yeah. Be a lot safer. Well, Improvised but entertainment devices. Right. Improvised nerf devices. But, and here's the thing is we do do. Yeah composite risk management in combat right like you are trying to assess risk and determining what risks you're willing to take and again those are productive uh safety considerations at times i, I mean there are time, other times where it's like again um i've had people it's one of my dad told me this one time he's like you know i was talking to so-and-so the other day and they're like well where's byron oh he's deployed right now and like okay well we hope he's being safe and my, this is my dad talking he's like and I've always kind of like, well, I kind of don't. I mean, that's kind of the point, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> obviously yeah. he doesn't want me to get hurt. But if we're just going to these places and just focusing on being safe all the time, we're not really doing our job, you know. And, and generally speaking, mm -hmm. when we do things that are unsafe, it's typically far less safe for the enemy, you know. Uh, so anyways, do you? What do you got on your side yeah. as far as um, unrealistic fixations on safety? Unrealistic fixations on safety. That's just not. Well, I think that I could say of. Yeah, I think that what my mind goes to immediately is something that's more all across our society. Mm -hmm. Um. 
quote, following the science yeah. as if it's this oracle mm -hmm. that has spoken from on high and declared incontrovertible cosmic truth that no one who is a legitimate scientist has ever or could possibly ever question. Mm -hmm. So anything that one might think of that has been done in the name of science, which is to say the suggestions, recommendations, declarations, edicts of particular scientists or particular um, highly placed people who promote those scientists. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's what my mind mm -hmm. goes to. Like uh, I'm not. I don't want to throw anybody um, under the bus who who I work with. But let's just say that I, let's say that I've been um, in my car driving around other schools, and there have been times when I have seen children outside playing with their masks on and the teachers outside not within 60 feet of anyone also wearing a mask right yeah yeah i feel like that's kind of a, a real obvious one right <clears throat> so when i read this right. passage well, go ahead. Well, oh yeah so so one more thing with that in conversations that i've had with principals or people training to be principles, um, not, not, not any of my actual bosses or anybody who I'm immediately accountable to or at all accountable to. And, and, uh, in my, but uh, other people who I know who are principals have commented to me that being a school administrator or being a district administrator is basically a job in risk management. Yeah your biggest job is making sure that the school and or school district is not sued. Mm -hmm. So there's this fundamental fear that's at the core of what's going on. It's like, whatever mm -hmm. happens, whatever anybody does, don't get sued. Right. And we're, and we're so, willing to set, it's like, we're willing to sacrifice all common sense, science, whatever it is. Uh, for the illusion, I guess, of safety um, or, or, yes. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, what so, it produces <clears throat> is the illusion of due diligence. Correct. Or the right, appearance so back, of due diligence. Coming back to this passage. So while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I want to come back to this idea of the pregnant woman, but... <clears throat> So one of the verses that this references is Ezekiel 13.10, if you want to turn over there. Okay. Ezekiel 13.10. Yeah. Now, maybe you And know I thought at first that you were going to say something from Isaiah, because <clears throat> I, I haven't read Isaiah in a few months, but there's a passage in Isaiah somewhere that very much reminds me of what's going on with, uh, well, with what Paul's saying in First Thessalonians. There's a couple others in Jeremiah that, that uh, my Bible is referencing. <clears throat> and, and this verse that we're going to check or look at uh, speaks more to the, to, to the peace than the safety. But I think those two go hand in hand. Um, uh-huh. So All right, you so you want, want me to read that? Yeah, 13. Go ahead and just read 10 through uh, 12. Okay. Because, because they lead my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down. And violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask, where is the whitewash you covered it with? So, um, 
again, maybe you have, you have a different understanding of this, but my big, my key takeaway from this is that the piece that's discussed here is it's, it's a fake piece. It, it's not a true piece. Um, and so I guess maybe in terms of safety, uh, this is more like the, this is an unproductive emphasis on peace or safety <clears throat> as opposed to a productive one. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so, so something else that this other passage made me think about, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with this where there's been this trend in our culture where you'll have these uh, commentators come to colleges and uh, to speak. Oh yeah. And then they're oftentimes the, these talks are interrupted by protesters. Um, you know, these people just walk in and, and stand up on the stage, they'll pull fire alarms and they'll, they'll do all that stuff. And so, um, <clears throat> and again, uh, oftentimes many, many of these speakers are conservative, but some of them are also not so conservative. It's just that they aren't, aren't woke. Right. And, uh, so what, one I've seen a while yeah, ago, scientists, was, scientists, for example, correct. One of these that I saw a while ago that this reminded me of. Uh, is, is a time when I think Ben Shapiro spoke it. I think it was like Berkeley and a number of kids walked in and, and again, they just stood themselves up in the front and they were yelling and screaming. But what made me think of this is, is that what they were screaming was safety. They kept yelling it over and over again. The, the leader would say safety and they'd all respond, oh, wow. safety, 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 because what they were suggesting is that Somehow, by by Ben Shapiro being there and speaking, he was creating an unsafe environment. And so when I think of this idea of the flimsy wall, the whitewashed wall, right? Peace when there is no peace. It's like we're screaming safety when there is no threat, perhaps. And in doing yeah, so... Yeah. Or, or, or the threat is different than what the protesters, let's say, happen to identify as the threat. There is a threat, but not the one you're saying. Okay, go on. Oh, I, I mean, uh, so with the, the the protesters you were mentioning at Berkeley, so they want safety. And if they want safety, it's because they perceive a threat. Okay, so I think that there is a threat, but it's not the one that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not the one that they have in mind. Uh -huh. It's it, it's not somebody speaking a, an opinion or delivering um, insight or 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 an essay. Oh man, I'm I'm having ha having sound issues again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where you okay. left off? Yeah. So the thing that I was saying about those protesters at Berkeley, for example, is that they perceive a threat and the threat that they perceive would be Ben Shapiro and whatever ideas he happens to be talking about. And I would say that there is a threat, but the threat is not Ben Shapiro and the threat is not Ben Shapiro's ideas. Mm -hmm. There are a number of threats. One of them is refusing to refusing to consider what another person says or even if you don't want to consider what another person says which i mean there's nothing that says you have to listen to anybody but to demand that that person be silenced yeah they themselves are the threat Mm -hmm. In other words, or or even if you don't want to like throw those particular people under the the bus, so to speak, their their ideas are are the threat. Um, and I would say that there are a number number of other threats too. I mean, those who try to uh, manipulate people into conceiving the world as being made up of only two groups of people, oppressors and the oppressed. Right. That's a threat. We know that it's a threat because it's, it produced the bloodiest century in human history. Right. 
Well, and so even and if there there may be problems with what Mr. Shapiro, for example, was saying, I doubt seriously that anything that he was saying or believing had led to the deaths of over 160 million people over the course of, you know, 60 years or so. Right. Well, and the thing about it is, is to me, what it seems like they're doing uh, is they're weaponizing safety. Man, that's that's a really interesting way of putting it. Weaponizing safety. Well, and I mean, because again, this is something I've experienced where, again, in military training, you're like, I, I've had somebody say this to me before. <laughs> he and I were having an argument on how to conduct a range. And uh, I mean, I, I was I'm in charge. Right. And and he's telling me what he wanted to do, his course of fire. And I was like, yeah, but I don't I, we're not going to do that. That's not realistic. What we're going to do is this, this and this. He's like, well, yeah, but that's not very safe, is it? And it's like, don't even try that. Don't even try and shut down my idea with your faux concern for safety. And so that's to me, that's somebody weaponizing safety. And so when you think of somebody whether you believe with him or not, somebody like Ben Shapiro, uh, you know, in, in our country, we enjoy, at least for now, the right to freedom of speech. And it's my understanding with that. Uh, actually, let me give an example, another example of this. Sorry, this is something else that, that's come up recently. Uh, something that's been preached a lot lately is this idea in the military of psychological safety. But so what that is, is as a leader is you need to create a culture in your organization where there's psychological safety. And what that means is that your subordinates can get creative and they can try things and they can suggest things and they can even say, Hey, I don't think this thing we're doing as an organization is working and they should, they should feel safe to, to do these things and know that they're not going to lose their job if they mess up. Because ultimately, the training environment is where where you should be experimenting and you should be trying and you should be making your mistakes. Now, as you get further into a training uh, evolution, like they need to be making the right decisions because you're preparing for or for a deployment. But at the, but we need to leave room for people to try things and make mistakes. So that's that's psychological safety, right? And so, like I'm in this course now where okay. you know it's a it's a medical refresher, and uh, you know. We're, we're having a conversation the other we're, we're working through a trauma lane the other day me and my partner and uh you know we're sitting here through this in this particular case it was we're simulating a crush injury and this is not something you get all the time so you know we start kind of talking out loud it's like okay let's see what do we have here his vitals are at this we have this going on man we really need to do this procedure but we don't have the equipment for that could we improvise it with this you know and we we're kind of chuckling about it afterwards but the fact that you're able to verbalize those things is because you've got psychological safety. You realize the people around you aren't going to hold it against you because okay. you're 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 trying to kind of work through the problem. To me, that's what what freedom of speech and things like what what Ben Shapiro was doing are. Right? We kind of like paw around in the dark and like try ideas out and talk them through and see what people say back to us in uh -huh. in in search of truth. And so to kind of punctuate my point, I feel like when somebody walks into a room where you're trying to have something like that, where we're trying to pursue truth and they start screaming safety, they're weaponizing safety to suppress at least your pursuit of truth. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely it is. And man, I've I've seen some of those clips before of people doing that, but I never. Well, first of all, it's it's very difficult to. To watch any of that for for very long, and I don't know how how people deal with it. Um, yeah. Several of the people who I've seen who have gone through this have have endured it remarkably well, and I I, I hope I'm never in a a situation like that. But I had never seen the one about safety, and that really is eerily reminiscent of what we're reading about in the scriptures. Um, about the only, I guess, correlation that that I had thought of before with things like direct things said, and I, of course, there are other attitudes that are 
where it's applicable in society both now and in the past but historically where my mind always has has tended to go with when they declare peace and safety is neville chamberlain okay. coming back from his his meeting with hitler right. and he declared peace in our time mm-hmm. i mean just how, how long later. before world war ii broke out yeah i mean was that 38 that, that he did that I think so. Yeah, it was around about that time. Yep, and then was it 39, 40, the Nazis invaded Poland, right? Yeah, and and if you think about what he did, he sacrificed innocent lives. It's totally, totally gave them up Mm -hmm. to Hitler and his regime. So that he would look like he brought peace for his country mm-hmm. when in fact what he did in, in all likelihood brought more death and suffering on his country than what he could have possibly imagined. Yeah. What, what Once again, like, when you put, when you put first things second, you get neither. Right. And I, I mean, I would say a whitewashed wall, right. Was that the, was that the verbiage over here? A flimsy wall is built. Yeah, over an easy cover with whitewash. I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a pretty good way of articulating like what 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 played out in real life in in that situation. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So it's also um, calling calling things by by the wrong names. So there's mm-hmm. it's it's also linguistic theft. You know, Correct. like like you mentioned yeah. several times, when when you say that A is not A, but A is B, mm-hmm. well, that th- it's a problem. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Wendell Berry in a poem says, "The world is babbled to pieces after the divorce of things from their names." Right. Well, and in this example with with Ben Shapiro, for example, you know. I think the things that Ben Shapiro says are are a threat to their ideas, but they're suggesting that his ideas, and so so it's not, but it, that, but that's not what they're saying, right? They're not in there chanting that because he is a intellectual threat. They're suggesting that he is a threat to their physical well being, and and we've seen this several times in our culture where. It's almost it's just this hyperbolic, just blowing things out of proportion. Which again, like linguistic theft, we've we've expanded the definition of threats to your mm-hmm. safety to include. I mean, there's people that I heard a lady say this one time, um, that because if somebody says something to you and it makes you feel a certain way, right? Maybe it feels sick. It makes you feel sick to your stomach, or it makes me feel uncomfortable. That is a physical response. Therefore. Their verbal attack can actually be like a physical attack, and you can defend. Your, therefore, you can defend yourself because they are affecting like your person. It, which again, like that's that's like taking the definition of I don't know assault and broadening it, thereby creating more assault. You know. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, not only does it create more assault, but potent, like in in theory, <clears throat> or 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 from in a in a I don't know quote legal sense, but it might in fact create more assault in the old sense also. Mm-hmm. Which, if you look at crime rates in our country now compared to 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. it's absurd. cities a number of cities have have seen way like more than double uh the murder rate from past years and so i do wonder if if because people are 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 not calling things by their right names if it if it is actually in fact manifesting itself 
in more bad things right. like assault, like, like murder. Yeah. Because if our language is attacked to a particular point, people are left with no recourse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a whole lot better when we hash things out with our words as opposed to our fists. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's kind of what I was, I mean, to my point earlier, what you're effectively denying people the ability to, to work things out. Yeah. Uh, nobody, I mean, going back to um, kind of, kind of shoot from the hip here, but like going back to your, your thing with the active shooter, um, that is going to go a lot better if you have a chance to rehearse it and then come back together with your, your people and be like, Hey, I don't think this works. We need to change this. Then it would be to just do it live. Right. And, right. and effectively, these people want to shut down speech. And so we're all just going to kind of execute life like live. We're just going to do it live. And, and we're going to make a lot of, lot of bad mistakes uh, doing it that way, you know? Well, and then potentially then law would be declared in real time. Mm -hmm. Right. Rather also, than a legislative uh, process, which by its very nature is linguistic. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Very that opens up so. the door that opens up the door to horrendously capricious and arbitrary tyranny. Yes. Which I mean it's funny like that that's that scares me. You know. Sure. Like the fact that there's people in our country calling for street justice, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, like I've seen like not first, excuse me, not firsthand necessarily, but the places that I've gone in this world, like I've seen what that looks like firsthand, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, all you have to do is do a Google search of, uh, you know, the Black Hawk Down raid back in Somalia and, and the, the pilots and Delta Force operators charred bodies hanging from the bridge. That's street justice right yeah. there, you know? Yeah. Um. If you, you have something else that's going to kind of not switch gears, but maybe introduce a couple other things. I, I think that we could probably riff on this for a long time because the, the examples, both historic and contemporary, mm -hmm. are so abundant. So but I think, me, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Let me just say this too, because I, I kind of feel like the peace and safety stuff goes hand in hand. Um, something interesting that I read so what I want to kind of talk about is the emphasis on peace in like Israel is uh, in the Israelite kingdom or in Jewish culture and even in that part of the world now. Um, okay. But so, so one of the things that I was reading, and this is one of the notes in Ezekiel. So it says uh, <clears throat> peace, very likely an echo of the priestly benediction from Numbers six twenty four through 26. So, of course, that's. You know, one of my favorite songs, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make yeah. his face shine upon you. Right. And give the Lord you peace. be gracious to you and give you peace. Right. Um, and so it's saying that this is an echo of the priestly benediction and ignoring the fact that God's promise of peace to his people was conditional on their faithful faithfulness to them. And so. Um. You know, this passage in Thessalonians is pointing to that. So I think we, we have to assume that there's some parallels here. So we have people that are saying peace and safety. Meanwhile, destruction is coming on them. And so I guess it, can we can we infer then that part of that is because uh, they're looking to be beneficiaries of peace, potentially the Lord's peace. But they don't understand that 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 only occurs so long as you're obedient and faithful. Right. And there's a very. A uh, simple reason for that. I, I think that probably when when I I talked about peace previously in in a message, I, I would think that I would have probably talked about the the word itself, you know, mm -hmm. shalom or like you know the right. Arabic salam. Right. The sense of that word is not lack of conflict, which that's the way that it's usually understood now if you go back to the to the you know peace movement in the 60s it was anti-war they thought if we simply aren't at war we have peace mm -hmm. 
but that's that's not true. That's not what the 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 word the words handed down to us indicate. Mm-hmm. Shalom means completeness. Mm. So the reason that uh, so the people declaring peace and safety and sudden destruction comes upon them, the, the reason that that's uh, the case is because by declaring peace and safety, it's like saying we are complete and we therefore are safe. Mm. But there's something in fact lacking. And so this declaration of completeness does not correspond to reality. Right. What is, what like, with, like with the whitewashed wall. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have to deal with this all the time when it comes to, to goats. Like, a goat is only as good as the fence that it's in. Mm. And if the fence is not complete, you can't yeah. trust the goat. Yeah. An incomplete fence means that the goat could get out and get hurt or, like, eat your rose bushes or your, your tomato plants or, you know, whatever the heck that it wants, which is probably whatever you want the goat to eat the least. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the case so yeah completeness right now i've i've worked on a whole lot of fencing over at our new place but the fence is not yet complete the perimeter has not been fully established there are some places where where fence actually has to be put up there are other places where the where the existing fence has to be mended and i can't put animals in there until it is in fact complete and i check it multiple times to make sure that this really is complete and when it is, then you can say that, like, you know, that there is peace there. Right. That's interesting. So let me ask you this, then. What do you think of that as far as this metaphor with the labor pains on a pregnant woman? Because my, my thought is, like, certainly the pains of labor can come on suddenly. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you don't know they're coming. Like, Oh, absolutely. There are, there are indicators that there's going to be labor pains. And yes. I guess when I think of this, this like your idea of completeness, right? Like nobody looks at a pregnant woman and thinks, well, she's complete. She's going to be like <laughs> this forever, you know? Like, right. <clears throat> we know at some point there's going to be a huge disruption to our lives. Um, and so, and until that cycle is complete and we kind of come back to an equilibrium, like, yeah, you're, you're kind of living with that uh, anticipation, perhaps. Or that lack right. of completeness. And how beneficial, how could it possibly be beneficial for a pregnant woman or anyone associated with a pregnant woman, a nine-month pregnant woman, to say, no, you are not pregnant? Right. That's either the height of ignorance or the height of lying and prevarication. But when we live in an era of linguistic theft, I mean, effectively, that's what we're doing. We are pretending that pregnant women are not pregnant, right? But but the reality is the reality will will, will soon overtake us and and the labor pains will be here. And now you're you're dealing with this thing that you're pretending was not there, right? Yes. Yeah, we've (laughs) I I don't I don't want to kind of kill the conversation with too many goat analogies but we we did we have been what what we're really supposed to do is to have planned goat pregnancies Mm. (laughs) that's that going that's what people who are on top of their game do well you know sometimes good sometimes not so good but it's very important to write down dates Mm. like the date or possible date of breeding i mean you, you know a particular range even if the buck happens to get out of his pen, which ha- happens like, I don't want quite want to say once a year, but almost once a year, the buck will, will just manage to get out one way or the other because, you know, nature. I think some Jeff Goldblum said something about that on, on Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. What, what did he say? Nature, nature finds a way, something like that. The buck yeah. finds right. a way. The buck doesn't stop yeah. here. If, yeah. There's nothing to stop the buck or make the buck to stop here. Uh, yeah. So we have on occasion been surprised uh, goat births, and that usually doesn't go well. We had one one goat. We knew the goat was pregnant, but we 
we really didn't think that she was due yet. We thought she had easily a couple of weeks left. And she, I, I don't know if it was like we weren't at home or I think that's what it was. We weren't at home and she went ahead and kitted and one of our dogs probably ate the ate one baby and then almost ate another one. Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So all, all that just goes to show how important it is to have a proper and effective grasp of what's really going on and recognizing progressions, recognizing signs and times in the physical world because if you don't if, if we're not cognizant of those things and actively dealing with them it leads to problems and a good deal of a uh, good deal of difficulty inconvenience and occasionally like screaming bereft goat mothers so in, in I maybe mean, the last couple of minutes here um because we're we're coming up on time. Obviously, we got some little segment there of sound issues we got to work out, but we're still coming up on yeah. an hour. Yeah. So, and I I haven't thought this through. Like I haven't done the research yet. I just know it's in here, and I, but I'm wondering okay. if we might find find some answers here. Um, because again, it's interesting that you you say that peace is not necessarily a lack of of conflict. Or how how did you say that? Peace does not mean absence of conflict. Right. It means completeness. So, you know, there's the old and So Latin sometimes saying, to maintain completeness. Sorry, go ahead. Sometimes to maintain yeah, completeness, conflict, conflict comes. Right. So like there's the yeah. old Latin saying, was it civis pesum parabellum, right? If you want peace, prepare for war, right? Um, okay. And so I think it's interesting that I just think it's interesting that in this passage it mentions the the uh, the armor of God. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So that's mentioned mentioned here. The other place in the New Testament the armor of God is mentioned is Ephesians six ten through twenty. And so what I'm wondering is if we can kind of look at some of the aspects of the armor of God. And see how we might employ them to to deal with this peace and safety problem. You think that's is there something to that potentially? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, so I'm I'm just flipping back to uh, to those passages because I, I was uh, I was still in Ezekiel here on my lap. Yeah, so I was reading initially from First Thessalonians five where we just were, and that yeah. was verse eight. Uh-huh. I guess he uses it in Romans also. Really? Huh. I, I knew about the two. I, I didn't realize that there was a third. I mean, it makes sense. That, Paul, that Paul, also Paul, would use the... Paul also uses the metaphor of armor in Romans 13, 12, 2 Corinthians 6, 7, 10, 4, Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Let's just go uh, with the Ephesians. That's a lot more that's a lot more prevalent than I recognized. Yeah. It does not consistently attach a particular verse to each piece of armor. It is the general idea of equipment for battle that is pictured for the triad of faith, hope, and love. But anyways, let, yeah, let's, let's check out Ephesians. And then I guess this all uh, originates from Isaiah 59, 17. We can check that out later too. But this is okay. This is kind of. I went ahead and uh, put my finger in that one too. Isaiah one. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I, I had thought about that in Isaiah before, but you know, I don't know when, when you don't make notes necessarily. You you don't connect all the dots. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I don't make notes, uh, <laughs> you make notes. Yeah. All right, so let's let's read through this Ephesians and see if we can't make make something out of this and, and the dealing and dealing with this peace and safety problem. So I said what? Ten through twenty. You wanna um 
you just read, right? I'll read a couple of passages and I'll just yeah. pass it, pass it to you. How about that? Yeah, sure. That's <clears throat> fine. All right. So starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Why don't you pick it up there? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Anything strike you in that there? Yeah, a, a lot of things. Uh, I think maybe primarily 19 through 20. The, the the very end there because he's talking about talking mm -hmm. well interesting also for me that whenever i speak words may be given to, given me so that i will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador yes. chain yes yeah, speech is is really at the, the really just through all of this mm -hmm. Because there, there's prayer that's happening. It says, pray also for me. It says, pray in the spirit. Pray that I may be able to speak. So that there, there's all of this, this talking that's being encouraged. But not, not mindless talking. Not keeping words upon words. Um not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, which would come to one in the form of speech. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, I mean, shoot, the, the, the first thing, stand firm then. Like the very first thing that, that it says is stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Right. I, I was looking at that. So stand Like truth so is the first thing. Right. We have stand stand firm with the buckle of truth, buckle around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So there is there is a peace, but it it comes from from the gospel, right? It seems to yes, yeah, yeah. It comes from the gospel, and, and when you take this image as a whole, and we think about it in the context of, of peace and, and that word indicating or, or or directing us towards the concept of completeness, if we need the full armor of God, if I need the full armor of God, it means that I am personally insufficient. And that runs counter to a whole lot of the ideas in our society that I think rightfully trouble us. There's, I think that the underlying fiction, you might call it the narrative, I'll call it the fiction, is that people are sufficient in themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that in a free society, which I hope that our country will continue to be, a person is welcome to operate in that fiction so long as it doesn't deprive someone else of life, liberty, and property. However, for those of us who are believers in Christ, if we are going to be any good 
to the Lord or to anyone else or to ourselves. Let's not, I mean, let's actively recognize that I should actively recognize that I am insufficient. I need the Lord. Okay, well, we all know that. But I also need specific things that I can get only from him. Number one, truth. Mm-hmm. I can't get that by myself. If I think that I determine truth because I say so, mm-hmm. I have left the narrow path uh, that Jesus indicates. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And I would say that that broad path is primarily populated with those who think that they get to determine truth for themselves. Well, like, you know, perhaps the more a cliche version of saying what you said is, you know, we are incomplete without Jesus. Therefore, we don't truly know peace without him. And going back to this idea to be beneficiary of the Lord's peace, we have to be faithful and obedient. Um. And so the way that we're faithful, the way, the way we show the Lord that we love him is to be faithful and obedient. But but to know what that means, like we, we have to be in the word, which which arguably is, you know, I guess it's not the it's not the armor of God. Right. Like this is the sword. The armor is more the defensive part part of your uh, ensemble, I suppose. I don't know. Is the metaphor running out? <laughs> Well, no, no, I, I don't think so. But again, all of these things are not innate. The, 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 these things that are mentioned are no more innate to a human, by which I mean inborn or naturally occurring, than armor is for a soldier. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 you're a soldier and you have a firearm, chances are you weren't born with that firearm. Unless your name is Chuck Norris, I suppose. Mm, yes. Rotten <laughs> <laughs> out old Chuck. But uh, yeah, so truth, righteousness, um, the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. None of these things are human inventions. And, well, and none of these are innate human possessions. We... We either get them from the Lord or we are in 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 this sense naked. Well, and again, you think about this idea of, of this fixation on safety, the weaponization, like you know, again, there's people that, that feel as though we have a right to safety. I kind of feel like the Bible doesn't necessarily buy into that because Yeah, no, not not a bit. Right. Like you know, people, you know, there's a joke. It's like, well, combat's dangerous. That's why we wear helmets, right? Like <laughs> you wear, you wear armor, but it doesn't, it, it increases your survivability, but it doesn't make you safe. Like you're, you're wearing it to like, it, it makes it safer, I suppose, but you're still facing danger. And I mean, when we look at this here, right. It, uh, in addition to this, we take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows. Like so, we're we're taking up the shield of faith, and then here it says, like he says, "Pray that I may declare it fearlessly." Like there's just this idea, though, of but we're still we're still facing a an unsafe thing, you know. We're still facing that head on, or maybe not head on, but we're facing an unsafe thing. We're we're not we're not. Uh, absolved of danger i don't know does that make sense it does the the sense seems to be that we can operate without fear but we can't operate without danger ah there you go that's good that was good (laughs) tip of the cap uh i don't know i think that's good should we should we wrap it up here any yeah, thoughts? we we can. Uh, I, I feel like this is a a much bigger conversation. Uh, that there are so many directions we could we could go here, and, and we could continue on these these same things. I mean, or or looking at the other times that Paul talked about 
uh, the armor or when Isaiah mentioned it back, I guess, whenever, whenever he did in chapter 59, I suppose you had yeah. said it was. But yeah, it's probably a, an okay spot to, to leave off for now. I mean, but the conversation kind of goes on, hence, hence episodes. It does. And for those <laughs> those viewing and listening at home, I mean, I man, I just ask that you bear with us with the connectivity issues. Hopefully, the audio is uh, sufficient. Hopefully, the video will be sufficient that we can put up video on Facebook this week. And uh, I think I've got one more Wednesday away, and then I'll be back in the library with Justin. All right, just one more. That's great. Yeah. All right, cool. I think that's it. Then you want to close this in prayer? Yeah, sure will. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I pray that you would just fill us with your truth. And Lord, the, the things that, that Paul asked for um, for folks to pray, Lord, we, we, we pray those things. That whenever we open our mouths, words would be given to us that we will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, whether we're in chains or, or free, Lord, help us to do it fearlessly and to live for you fearlessly, even though there's um, danger. Everything from just the various difficulties of, of mortality to the possibility of persecution, uh, whether that be uh, near or, or distant. And Lord, I, I pray that too for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are being actively persecuted. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, live, live life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Thank you. I pray that Jesus will come back soon in his name. Amen. And we will see you all next week.